Welcome to Cycle Breakers and Moneymakers, a podcast for women of color and first gen who are breaking generational cycles and glass ceilings by going places no one before them has ever gone. I'm your host, leadership coach and eldest daughter of immigrants, Mariella Delamora. I left a 16 year marketing career to create a multiple six figure a year coaching business as a single mom. Each week, you'll learn how to build unshakable self trust, become in demand lead with confidence, and make more money by being more of who you are. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to bring today's episode to you. Before I do, I just wanted to give you all an update because I'm thinking about when this episode's going to come out, which is the second week of January. Just to give you all an update, like things have been wild. This month is going to be like prep month for Reclamation Mastermind um, kickoff in Mexico City. So there's just, I'm recording this right now, right before the new year, and I'm off from like coaching. So I'm not coaching this week or next week, the first week of January, I'm not coaching either, but I'm just like recording podcasts and delegating things out to my team, making decisions about the live event, things like that. So my team is working and I'm just making sure that they have what they need and all of that and just kind of prepping and, and taking advantage of the quiet. Also trying to be with my daughter and we're going to be heading to a hotel today because this is what she loves and this is what I love. So just, you know, trying to kind of do a little bit of both. But in some seasons, like right now, it makes sense for me to just sort of be on maybe 25% of the time, do the things that are really important that my team needs, that the business needs so that I can head into January coaching and hit the ground running because there's just so much going on, like so many decisions. And this is all new to me. Too, you know, like I've never thrown an in-person live event before, and I'm I'm really glad that I've got all the support that I I have because I can't even imagine if I was doing all this myself. You know, I think that that's allowed me to feel a little more excited about it because I think I have a very hard time feeling excited when I haven't figured something out or like I'm stressed out. <laughs> and I think now I don't need to figure things out necessarily as much because I do have so much support. So yeah, I just wanted to give y'all an update. Like it's just been wild. I feel like the holiday season allowed me to kind of pause and reflect on this launch and this year and spend time with my family. My sister was in town from DC this past like week and a half. And so it's just really nice for all of us to be together. So I'm coming to y'all basically like on a quiet Saturday at the time of recording. This is Saturday, December 30th. My daughter's playing with like all her new toys. Her birthday was Wednesday. So we're just, we're chilling. We had breakfast and in a little bit, like I said, we're going to, we're going to head over to the hotel. All she wants to do is be in the pool. And the way that I don't work is by going to a hotel where things are done for me. So <laughs> this is part of my self care <laughs> and my time with my daughter. So yeah, I just wanted to give you all an update. I figured, especially because like when I get really busy, like you don't see me on stories. I'm, I'm pretty much like not doing that as much anymore. Now it's like, you'll hear from me on my email list on my podcast and on like pre-scheduled posts and things like that. But yes, we're definitely moving and getting things done. For today, I wanted to reflect on resistance, like things that I have seen clients resist specifically. So this isn't just about like top tips of getting to six figures faster. This is really about points of resistance that I have seen in my clients. And I'll talk a little bit about where I've seen the resistance come from and why I think doing this thing is important. And so today we're going to talk about the top things entrepreneurs resist doing that help them get to six figures faster. This applies mostly to people who've already made money. I'd say people probably in like the 30 to 40K range because there's different things 
at the very beginning that I would say in our points of resistance, but this is kind of like you can get to 30, you know, 25, 30, 40K, even 50K through just referrals, right? And through inevitably just like being really good at what you do, people will find out about you. And it's not to say that you can't get to six figures if you do all these things. It's just the fact that like I've seen the resistance will be there. And then when they do the thing, it actually opens up this like trajectory as a result of doing the the things that I'm going to talk about today. So that's why I wanted to cover them. And also just to normalize, I think that we don't, it's fine. Like, you know, your coach is going to suggest things that you need to do and, or they, they, you, they suggest that you do, but I think I like to explain why and maybe why there's certain things that feel harder to do than others. And again, always like use your own discernment, but I'm just going to tell you, like the things that I'm saying here are not like big, complicated things. It's actually in a way, it's just like a shifting of energy and a shifting of direction. All of this comes from me coaching hundreds of women over the last four years (laughs) and looking at my own journey in hitting six figures in my first 11 months in business. So these are the common denominators. These are things that I did. And these are things that I have seen in folks that have got to that six-figure mark pretty quickly. And um, even my own clients have resisted some of these. And so I want to just normalize that. But Here are the ones that I have seen and would love to hear which ones really stood out to you because I think that no matter where, even if you already are at the six-figure mark, you may be at one of these kind of points of, I don't think I need to do that. And you know, maybe you do. (laughs) Let's talk about it today. Specifically, points of resistance, meaning you will agree with me in theory. You will agree with me in theory, but you don't really. You're just like, "Mm, but I still really don't want to do it. Or "Mm, I feel like I'm doing it but you're not. So let's talk about it. Point number one, I broke into two pieces because one is dependent on the other. So I will explain. Let's call this one 1A. 1A is instead of fixating on sales, make your marketing so helpful it could get people a result, right? This doesn't mean you need to teach in every email or every post, but your marketing should be a direct response to what your clients are asking and what is happening. Meaning if you answer a question in private, answer it in public, right? Like if there's something that has come up, like how could you integrate everything? Like make your marketing being, it's almost like if you were helping your clients and doing something and then to whatever degree possible, you could make that public, put it in there. And the reason that I say that this is a point of resistance is because people will say like, yeah, I am educating, I am doing these things, but where's the client? But where's the client? And I'm like, that's exactly the problem is that you are expecting because you put a post out or didn't get engagement or someone didn't book a call, like nobody owes you that. You have to continue to do that. That means it is something that you're doing conditionally and you're expecting something to happen. Now you're putting out a body of work. You're bu- building a reputation for being an expert, right? And so the resistance comes from the attachment. The resistance comes from the attachment of I've done this thing, I put out this workshop, I did this thing and like where's my sales calls? And not to say that we shouldn't look at those things, but it's the short-term fixation that is the point of resistance. The short-term fixation is the point of resistance, right? So you just have to continue being in your community. Literally, if, if your goal was like, if you're in my community, if you're on my list, if you're following me on stories, if you're one of my followers, you're going to be seen, supported, whatever, educated, whatever that is. Make that the goal. So that is 1A. 1B, and the reason I'm putting 1B is you'll understand. 1B is selling 
not just educating. So 1A was educating or making your marketing so helpful it could get people a result, just being transformed by being in your community, right? Being transformed just by being in your community. But the reason this is 1B is because that is important and you need to sell. Trust. There's a big point of contention of like my clients of when they're like making 30K, 40K, 50K, where they're like, but people aren't booking sales calls. And I'm like, but are you selling? And then I'll look at their emails and I'm like, you're educating. And that's great. So again, this is why I was like 1A, 1B. You're educating and that's great. But how much real estate are you spending, let's say, in this email talking about what it's like to work with you? A PS line, if 95% of your email is educating and then you put a PS line, that's what I mean. And that's great, but that's also passive selling. Active selling looks like the reverse. 90% of your email. What if 90% of your email was selling? This makes people cringe, but that's because the way that they're thinking about selling is in a way where it's like they're thinking that that can't be helpful. And I'm like, no, being helpful is also selling. So let me give you an example. If I looked at some of my clients' emails, right, who are like under 50K, and they are giving tips, whatever, and they're like, okay, I'm educating on this and how to do this and how to do this. And I'm like, okay, I get that. And then at the end, there's like a passive PS line about like work with me. What I mean by like flipping it to spend more time um, selling is you just shared all this information with me. What does that mean for me as a client, as a potential client about working with you? You did not build a bridge. What does this 10 points have to do with me? Do you talk about this with clients? Is this part of your program? Is this part of your framework? Is this part of the result that you offer? Like you didn't explain any of that to me. So you're making the client do the heavy lifting of like, are you just randomly spewing out facts? But like, what does this mean for me as a client? So if you were to do the reverse, the email might be something like, here's something that my clients struggle with. Here's what I have seen as a root cause. That's why when we work together, we will do X, Y, and Z. The reason we do it this way is this. The reason this gets you better results is this. And you're spending the time on the email talking about how you help your clients, how you do it differently, why that is the case, or maybe you do a top five. Maybe you do a top five something, right? But then you say, top, these are the top things that I integrate in working with my clients. When we work together, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at blah, 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 blah. And the reason we're going to do it is because of what I just shared, right? So you're building a bridge. Now, if you spent more time building that bridge between what you just shared and what does that mean for them, you will sell more, you will land more sales calls because the less mental gymnastics your clients have to do to understand what the heck are you even telling me this for, the more likely they'll book the call. You can't just be like, I'm going to be helpful and then people are just going to reach out to me. Like, no, walk them through, tell them a story. What does this mean for them? Selling and then actually say, when you book a call, this is what's going to happen. Then we're going to do this. Like talk about what happens when they book the calls. Really selling is just that. It isn't just educating. It's like, what does this mean for the client? Why do you do it that way? How is that better for them? What happens when they book the call? Sharing client stories, all those things, even sharing client stories, that's all selling too, not just educating. So 1A, instead of fixating on sales, make your marketing or being in your community so helpful it could get a people a result. 1B is selling, not just educating. Spend more real estate in your caption, in your post, talking about what does this mean for the client? What is it like to work with you? Why? How is it different? How is it better? What can they expect? Spend more time selling. So that's 1A, 1B. 
I had to spend a lot of time there because I see it a lot. They think they're selling, but they're not really selling. Number two, point of resistance, network like crazy and get more visible. They resist it because they're like, I don't know, I am being visible, I'm posting. And I'm like, no, that's not the same. Posting or sending emails is not being visible. Being visible is getting outside of your platform, collaborating with other people, thinking about where's the overlap between my brand and their brand? Where's the overlap between their audience and my ideal audience? What are some topics we could discuss together that are mutually beneficial for both their audience and my audience? Or if you're straight up pitching to be on a podcast and you're starting, ideally, I would recommend with personal relationships and people that you have a a connection to, thinking about what can I speak about on this person's podcast or this person's platform that is of benefit to their people, but not in it, like you and this person wouldn't do the exact same thing, but what is value that I could bring? What is a topic that I could speak about? that is a value to them. And then their audience is inevitably going to learn about you, right? Network like crazy and get visible. I think the the resistance just comes from a lot of different things. Maybe not thinking that you're enough of an expert. Fears around what if I get asked a question and I don't know the answer or I'm on this podcast and like, what if I stumble over my words? And I'm just like, y'all, they get edited. It's fine. Or if you're on an IG live and you reach a a point that you don't know what to say. And I just have to remind them like, you have conversations all the time. You don't like filter you talking. You're not like afraid to just go out and have conversations with people. (laughs) It's the same with just like being on someone else's platform, right? And also you're building relationships with people. And that's important because they could refer business to you or also it just expands your network. So like network like crazy. And I think that sometimes people are like, I don't know how to do that. But like, honestly, you're on these platforms for yourself. Just build relationships, support other people, right? And if you see that someone's talking about something, and you want to propose doing like a live together, you see they have do the work for them by coming to them with an idea already. Most likely they'll be like, yeah, that sounds great because you've thought about them, not just you trying to get on their platform. You've thought about, hey, we both talked about this thing and I think it would be really cool to go live and talk about this. Like, what do you think? So network like crazy and get visible. It serves the dual purpose of making new connections for you and expanding your reach, but it also creates third-party credibility. So third-party credibility is a concept that I talk about in Reclamation, which is essentially that you will have more credibility in your client's eyes when you are sharing your expertise on platforms you don't own. It carries more weight. I didn't have a podcast until the end of 2023, but in Almost every single call that I had, especially at the five-figure level, at every sales call, they said, I listened to podcasts you were on. I made it easy for them to find it because I had it on my press page, all those things. I didn't need a podcast. You don't need a podcast. I would say, don't start a podcast until you've been on 10 podcasts, right? Start being on podcasts before you host one. That's third-party credibility. That's part of getting visible on other people's platforms. And the reason is that someone has to let you on. That's the reason why third-party credibility is the thing. Someone has to let you on and be like, oh, you seem like someone I would allow on a brand that I have built. Okay. So that's a feature. And it doesn't need to be on a stage on on a big-ass summit. It just means that they can hear from you on someone else's platform. Because anybody can say anything on their own sales page. Anybody can say anything in their own posts. But when you're on a plot on someone else's platform, it does add this other layer. So I would recommend, this is number two, network like crazy and get visible. Propose, like pitch, have ideas, collaborate, 
this is the thing that I teach in reclamation as well. Cause we're like, okay, what are the things you want to be known for? What are the speaking topics? What are workshop topics that you can teach? How do you even think about who you would reach out to, right? We don't just do this randomly. We have a system for it, which we talk about in reclamation, but network like crazy and get visible. That is a point of resistance, but it absolutely can change your business. Number three. Oh, y'all, this is like deep side. I can't even tell you. This seems so silly. This seems so silly to me in my mind now because I'm just like, it's, it's, but I understand why it is resistance, which is hire a photographer and do a brand photo shoot. Like hire a photographer and do a brand photo shoot. I have some clients who like don't hire a photographer, but they will rent out a studio and they're content creators. Like I had a client who was a content creator and didn't hire a photographer, but she knew lighting and camera angles and all those different things. So that's fine as well. But do an actual brand photo shoot. You are cannot get to I me. Mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm like, if you want to get to six figures, just get some freaking pictures. Like you actually just, you need pictures. If you're selling anything, if, if it was a pro, anything that you're selling needs photos. I've had clients resist this because they just don't like the idea of a photo shoot. It seems stressful to them. And I'm just like, well, if you see it as being stressful and you don't plan one, by the time you do one, you're going to tell yourself it was this huge deal. And then you're not going to want to do it again versus just seeing it as a normal part of business. It is a business activity, right? And you also, from a functional perspective, need photos in your marketing when you're in an expertise-based business because people want to see the expert. It creates emotional connection. It creates familiarity. It creates brand awareness. You are the expert. We need to see your photos, (laughs) right? And then I've also had clients resist this because they're just like, well, it shouldn't matter. And I just don't want to like, they just... They don't want to, it's almost like they don't want to feed in to like superficiality by putting photos. And I'm just like, listen, people need to see the product. Like you are the product, your expertise is the product. Make it fun. And it's maybe it's not going to feel fun the first time because you don't feel like you don't know what you're doing. But how are you ever going to get comfortable with it if you don't just do it? I had, let's see, three photo shoots that I did myself before I ever did my rebrand, which meant that by the time I did my rebrand, it was by far the most complex. It had all these different, it had you know, a lot of strategy behind it. There was a big expense, thousands and thousands of dollars, all these closed locations, all this complexity. But it was fine because I had done three of them before and it wasn't like this big, huge thing. It was actually fun. But like when I did my first photo shoot, I didn't even have an offer. So you have no reason not to have a photo shoot. I did a photo shoot because I'm a marketer and I knew I haven't figured out my offer yet, but I need photos. I need photos that will show, hi, you should pay me thousands of dollars. Here's me, (laughs) right? And I didn't even have an offer. So I, I did a photo shoot like six months before I ever had a client, right? But as I was building my brand and my thought leadership and my personal brand, I was posting pictures of myself that looked like they were on purpose. Because no matter what, whether you like it or not, people form an opinion about you based on your photos. And if you're just posting selfies and like pictures in your house and all of that, it's going to look like, how much would I pay this person? How much does it look like their services would cost? That's just the reality of it. If that weren't true, companies across the world, everything would not spend so much money on marketing. That is just a fact. At the time, I started with a $6,000 offer and I wanted to look like a coach with a $6,000 offer. So I invested in, and it wasn't even that much. I spent like $300 on my first photo shoot and I used stuff that I had in my closet. You don't even have to do anything super fancy, but I was intentional about showing my personality and 
picking places in San Francisco that I wanted to showcase. So like, please, please, please. So many clients fight me on this. Photo shoots always make you money. They always, 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 always make you money. Your first one can be inexpensive. It could be chill. It could be fun. It should be all of those things. It doesn't need to be elaborate. Just get the damn photos taken. That was number three. Number four. This is, you're not going to expect this one. And it's a point of resistance. And I will tell you why. Speaking to themselves with compassion. Why would that be a point of resistance? That seems so like, why wouldn't you? But my clients resist that because they are much more familiar with a critical voice. They're familiar with it. They feel safer with it. They feel like that critical voice gets shit done, that they can trust it more, that it makes them feel more safe. And I understand that. And it is definitely a journey. And I want to validate that. So to give you an example, I was coaching a client a couple of weeks ago, and she shared a sports analogy with me around two very famous coaches who I actually was familiar with because I'm OG. And like, so this is like, I would watch like football in my house with my dad or like basketball with my exes and stuff like that. But like I myself have never been like a huge sports person, but she said there were these two very, like very predominant coaches. There was uh, Coach K and Bobby Knight. And she said, Coach K is very compassionate and brings out the best in his players. And then Bobby Knight like yells and is like pissed off and whatever, and just like yells at, at people. And she was like, don't Coach K me like Bobby Knight me. And (laughs) it just stuck out because I was coaching her and I think she was hearing like the compassion and I think she wanted to be like yelled at and like told what to do or maybe not yelled at, but you know what I mean? Like being more direct and like calling you out, right? And here's the thing is you can call people out, but not in a way that makes them feel worse about themselves or like bad or feels like adding more shame. You can be direct and call people out without shaming them. And I think that the resistance comes in whenever I'm just like, when you tell me what you're telling me, the way that you just immediately dismissed that win, or this thing is working well, and you immediately went to this, and the way that you're talking to yourself, you are not going to get where you want to go if you keep talking to yourself like that. So what if we flipped it around and was like, it's the way you're talking to yourself that's preventing you from making more money, because that inner critic voice worked for you in a past life. It worked for you in corporate, but in a world where we need to access our decision-making and our safety or like our financial safety, we need to believe that we're experts, all these things, that doesn't work, right? And not only that, like you don't want to, just like, do you want business to feel like that? Like you're just talking shit to yourself the whole time. And it makes sense because especially if you're first gen or you're a woman of color, it's like you grow up kind of being like, I need to be the best. I need to be not just the best. I need to be better than everyone else just to be in the room. And there's no room for making mistakes. The world is very unforgiving. That's a lot of what we're brought up. It's like the the world is unforgiving. They're waiting for you to slip up. So you need that inner critic voice. Like I've had to go through this myself where I'm like, I don't want to let go of my inner critic voice because my inner critic got me here. My inner critic got me through tough shit. And I'm not even saying don't have an inner critic. I think the inner critic is just, we have multiple parts of us, right? But if you're always handing the microphone to that inner critic part of you and the other part that's like, hang on, actually, it wasn't that bad. Like, let's give ourselves some credit, never gets the microphone. That's what keeps you stuck in small income as well. Because you're not, you need a different inner dialogue in order for you to access the best of yourself. And so that's why I say, 
speaking to themselves with compassion is a point of resistance. Not because they don't want to, but because it feels unsafe to rely on that voice. You feel more safe with a tougher, more rigid, more critical, more hypervigilant part of you because in many ways, that version of you got you probably through some tough stuff. And it was just a voice that you're used to to listening to that's used to holding the mic. That's all it is. And so noticing that, like if you are listening to this episode and you're like, how do I talk to myself even when something good happens? And and many times what I see is like my clients will like not even celebrate it. They're just like, yeah, 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 whatever. On to the next thing. That's part of that's part of the problem. <laughs> the way that you speak to yourself is going to make the things that you want to create so much easier. Like it took me years, y'all. And I, I, it's not it's not even like you can snap your fingers and just do that. I'm telling you this just so that you can be aware. Because like even for me, it took me over four decades. It took me over four decades to get to the point where I speak to myself kindly most of the time. And, and even not, not all the time, right? But most of the time, I am like really kind to myself. I say really nice things to myself. I give myself credit. But even then, I will slip up, right? But because I have a network of people that will call me out, like they'll be like, hang on, you just said that. That's not true. Can we just point that out? Okay, continue. And they'll call me out. So it's not just a thing that happens, but speaking to yourself with compassion and monitoring like what is the voice inside that has the microphone the majority of the time and shifting that towards a more compassionate voice is going to help you get to six figures faster. It's just going to help you just forget that even just to enjoy the ride more and be able to create more of what you want. So that's number four. And then number five will actually help with speaking to yourself with compassion. And that also helps you get to six figures faster. And this is the final one on the list is expand your friend circle to include other CEOs who are growing in a similar way to you. This also helps with the compassion because those people will also call you out when you are not speaking to yourself kindly, right? So expanding your friend circle to include other entrepreneurs, I feel like I talk about this a lot just because I'm like, no, it's so important. And I don't see it spoken about that much, but it really is a common denominator in people whose businesses grow quickly. So I would say that like, if the main entrepreneur you talk to is your coach, you're going to grow more slowly. You need to have active texts going on at any given moment with actual friends that you talk to, not just coffee chats either. That's the other thing. People think like, oh, I have like a coffee chat every now and then. And I'm like, no, your actual friend circle needs to change. Your actual real friends need to change to include multiple, multiple CEO friends because you are doing something that is going against the current of what many times, especially if you're a woman of color, going against the current of what you were set up to do. So your environment is so important. Think about all the things you've done previously. If you went to college, you you had friends in college, and then in the workforce, you were surrounded by other people that had jobs. You have to be surrounded with other entrepreneurs too. And it's not that your friends or family don't support you, but I've said this before, like you live on another planet in your mind as an entrepreneur. You have a whole huge internal universe of things you're thinking about, contemplating, planning, deciding, brainstorming that people who don't have businesses don't understand. They just don't. And if you're one of my friends or family and you're listening to this, you don't. And that's okay. (laughs) I don't expect you to. It actually helps me have better relationships with my friends or family that have jobs because I don't expect them to understand my world. 
they can celebrate with me. I can share whatever, but then we have different conversations when we're together and that's fine. And then I have my business friends and all we do is freaking talk business and coach each other. Not all. I mean, that's not actually true. We do talk about our chisme and our lives and all those different things. We talk about everything, but get some entrepreneurs together and guaranteed we're going to be talking about business. Mostly because a lot of our world and our people, we can't talk about that. And also because we love it and we're so like, it's something we love so much. Why wouldn't we talk about it? It's kind of like when I get together and I, we, I do play dates with other moms and we talk about our kids, you know, until I know you better, we'll talk about other stuff, but you have to expand your friend circle. You're going to grow more sl- slowly, period. You're just going to grow more slowly if you don't shift your circle. That is something that I did before I ever had an offer. I actually very actively went and joined programs that had Facebook groups and things like that. And then I would set up calls with people. We'd go live together. We would message in the Facebook group. And I had friends. I had entrepreneur friends months before I ever had a client. And that's why I hit six figures my first year. One of the reasons, right? And this is why it's on the list because I have clients who are making 50K who still don't have entrepreneur friends. And I'm just like, we got to shift this. We have to shift this. And I think part of this too is that they're like, I just don't know where to find them because I've tried to get into programs and like, I just don't feel safe or just like it felt very clicky or whatever that is. So I totally get that, that it may not just be a point of resistance. It might be that like you've tried, that absolutely is the case. But this is why finding programs where, you know, I would say even interview the clients. Like if you're thinking of joining a program, talk to the clients in it and just be like, how do you feel about the community? Have you made friends in the community? How do you feel? How safe do you feel like bringing stuff up? What do you think about it? People did that with me, with Reclamation. They were messaging my clients or my clients were like, hey, if you have questions, I, I see like you had a call with Mariela, like message me, right? And this is why I focused on it so much with Reclamation because I know how that on its own, them coming into the group and having like-minded people with similar values and ambitions and backgrounds will produce better results for everyone just off that because I've seen it multiple times. So expanding your friend circle to include other CEO friends will absolutely not only help you get to six figures faster, but just enjoy the ride more and help change the way that you think. Let me recap. Let me start from the beginning. Top things entrepreneurs resist doing that help them get to six figures faster. Number one, A, 1A, instead of fixating on sales, make your marketing so helpful it could get people a result. And then that means detaching from timeline and just keep making it so that you are helping your people through your marketing. That's 1A. 1B, but you also have to sell, not just educate. Number two, network like crazy and get visible. This could be IG live collabs. It can be pitching to podcasts. It can be looking at local events, all of that. But get off your platform and go to other communities and other people's platforms. Build your third-party credibility, which is a concept I teach in Reclamation. Number three, hire a photographer and do a brand photo shoot if you haven't, please. Or if the last one was a year ago, do it again. Do another one. Let this be part of your business. Doing photo shoots will always make you money. And it's just a functional, necessary part of your business. It also will support price increases, all the things. And it just helps you be more visible because you like the pictures that you post. Like just on a basic level, sometimes you don't want to post because you're like, I don't really like my pictures, right? Or I'm just tired of seeing my pictures. Also, another benefit of doing a brand shoot, like I did a rebrand recently where we have so many pictures, but before, because I didn't really have like the strategy behind doing them correctly, they got stale very quickly. So another thing, and I know this as a marketer, the eye tunes out what's familiar. 
So like if we've seen your same outfit, your same background, all of that, people are just not going to engage with it as much. They're just going to tune it out because they've seen that pattern. Pattern interrupt comes from different imagery, but having a consistent brand, obviously. And so that's why at the beginning, until you are actually working with a creative director, someone who's going to actually help you get the most out of a photo shoot and you're just doing it yourself, you do them more frequently because it also helps for your marketing to be broken up with something new. And that's what I would say at the beginning. That's all you got to do before you're at a point where, like I said, you're hiring a creative director, doing a rebrand, all of that. It also just helps, like I said, for your things to be seen because it, it breaks up the pattern of like, oh, I've seen this photo before. They just keep scrolling past, right? So number three, hire a photographer and do the photo shoot. Number four, speaking to yourself with compassion and practicing handing the microphone from your inner critic to your more compassionate, higher self voice. Number five, final, is expand your friend circle to include multiple CEO friends. All of these, like I said, points of resistance um, for many reasons, and it all makes sense. We're supposed to resist as we grow. In a way, our resistance is a flashlight to where our growth is. Resistance is generally always a flashlight, and that's different. Resistance is different from the gut feeling of something is not for me. Resistance is also different from, different from fear. Resistance really means when you think about resistance, there's forward motion and backwards motion. So the forward motion is your inner knowing of like, I know that this is probably going to help me, but like I'm scared or that's unfamiliar to me or I'm not sure, but resistance will always tell you where your growth is. All right, y'all. I hope this was helpful and I hope y'all have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, review the podcast give it five stars. It helps people to discover it. So please review the podcast if you have not already. Anything that ever stands out, please screenshot the podcast, Cycle Breakers and Money Makers, and tag me at mariella.delamora on Instagram. Or if you're sharing this on LinkedIn, just tag my name, Mariella Delamora on LinkedIn. And I will see you next week.